We want to welcome you to our weekly Celebrate Recovery. Tonight, we are so honored to have three women of hope um, ladies to share their story tonight. First of all, we want to welcome Jessica France. Would you welcome Jessica as she comes? Hey there, my name is Jessica, and I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with addiction. I came from a great family with loving parents and an amazing little sister. I was raised in church my whole life, Sunday morning, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, youth camp, youth conference, and more. But throughout all those years, I never realized that God was a God of relationship and not religion. When I started high school, my youth leaders moved away and I stopped attending everything except for Sunday mornings and that's only because it was routine at my house. Our Wednesday nights became the highlight social event rather than an encounter with God. So needless to say, by high school, I was not spiritually fit like I once was. Sophomore year, I got into my first serious relationship and I was head over heels before I realized who he was. This relationship brought lots of firsts and lots of pain. Ultimately, it was my first obsessive compulsive addiction. Although it was consistently not a good situation, I was obsessively loving him in hopes of a change. This is when my drug use first began. I was 17 years old. I was sad, depressed, brokenhearted, and spent most days crying because I just didn't understand why he didn't love me the way I loved him. Marijuana became my go-to guaranteed solution to instantly change the way that I felt. From sad to happy, from crying to laughing, but even in the beginning, I realized when the effects were off, the pain and sorrow and problems were still there. So I just chose more. Anytime anything in my life became too hard to manage, I just smoked more. But now, at this point, it was the occasional alcoholic beverage as well. High school graduation came and went. Lots of friends went off to college. I stayed home for college. The hopes of completing that quickly ended after being absent on the day of finals due to consistent drama brought on by the relationship I refused to let go of. A few months after this, I chose to move to Alaska with him and was married right away. I just knew things would be better if I just married him. He would love me. And that's when the physical violence began along with serious emotional and verbal abuse. We were there for about a year and we moved back here to Cleveland because he signed up to go to deployment to Iraq and our marriage came to an abrupt end after one last violent attack. It took some time but I finally moved on learning to be happy alone apart from him and just be happy with myself. Life started looking really hopeful at this point again. No more days filled with tears. Just peace and happiness were once again a part of my life that I had missed. During this journey I found myself entering into another relationship with who I thought was a wonderful guy who treated me very well, which it was something I was not accustomed to after my marriage, after going through my marriage that lasted for probably seven to ten years from when I met him until it ended. Um, what I didn't realize when I went into this new relationship was that I took all the hurts and pains and things I never really addressed into this next relationship. Um, during this time, um, I was living with a friend. I had got 
out of Cleveland. I thought, you know, new city, new start. Nobody knew me. Nobody associate me with my ex-husband because that's how everywhere I went, everyone knew. Oh, that's that's Sean's ex-wife, and I was so tired of it. So I found myself in Chattanooga, not in a great part at all. It was really probably one of the worst parts of Chattanooga. And but I was with my best friend, and we were happy, and she showed me how to be happy with just me. And for a little while, that was great until I realized that we were slowly in a world that I knew nothing about, and, but I was already there at that point. Um, there was a lot of different drugs done during that season of my life just, just because they were there, really. And that's when I got introduced into pain pills. And when I was sitting here writing this out, I was like, I really wasn't even sad I was it was the happy time that's when I was feeling great because I was asking myself like what feeling was I trying to cover up using those and maybe underlying it was still the stuff I hadn't dealt with with my ex-husband but from what I recall I was happy and I just tried something new because everybody else was not realizing what could what could happen from doing that um we began using pain pills regularly just because they were around and everybody was, and we liked the way that they made us feel. Um, let's see. I was in this new relationship and really nobody could tell me there was anything wrong with him. He made me smile, he made me happy. We had a lot of the same goals. He believed in God. Um, there was only, one problem, he never lived life normal. He sold drugs. And all I saw was the potential. He could be great, my mom's like, but he's not doing anything. But I just wanted to see the potential. Um, so let's see, um, during this time, I, I went down some paths that I didn't, I can't believe now that I went down, um, just with drug-wise and selling, selling drugs and different things like that. About six months into this relationship, um, he was arrested, and I should have been arrested, um, but he took the charges, and at that time, it violated a probation for him, so he was sentenced to six years. I was crushed. I didn't know what to do. That was I was the happiest I had been, and now it was gone, gone due to choices we had made. And so at this time, I didn't have, we were living outside of Cleveland. We were living in Chattanooga and Sweetwater, and I had to come back home to mommy and daddy, and that was not a good feeling at all. It was it was hard. It was humbling to say the least, but I don't think I was real humble about it at all. I was probably real pain. And I just remember the sadness that set in because I couldn't fix this. I couldn't fix the situation. I had no control, and there was nothing I could do. And I remember I started staying with a friend of mine, and. All, every friend I had was using drugs, so it seemed normal, you know. It was normal to walk in and people were smoking or drinking. That was just normal. And I remember thinking one day, if I could just do another pain pill, I could just sleep until he comes home, and then maybe I'll be happy again. And so that's when I began using daily, and daily turned into hourly, and hourly turned into minutes, and as soon as I was high, I was sick again. And I didn't realize the physical dependence that my body would get from taking these things. And once that part set in, 
I began selling drugs like it was a normal job. I didn't think about the consequences or anything like that. Um, just trying to make the pain and the hurt go away. So I remember counting down the days and thinking, oh, when he comes home, it's all going to be better, even though I knew that it probably wouldn't be better. And that day came. Up until this time, I had never been in any trouble. I was real good at talking my way out of anything that came my way. The police, my parents, my family. I'm good. It's good. Everything's great. I got, I got this. And that day came, and I made the decision to sell drugs one more time, even though I had made promise after promise that I wasn't doing that anymore, that I knew the risk that it could do to his life. And I sold drugs one last time. And in a matter of 30 minutes, I ended up with four felonies and three misdemeanors after I'd went 25 years with no record, no charges of any kind. I guess reality didn't really set in until I got out. I spent 36 hours in booking, and I just knew my mama was coming. She's coming. She'll be here, I remember telling the booking officer. I was like, she'll be here. He's like, Miss French, it's 36 hours later. She just called booking. She said, do not call her again. You're staying here. Oh, that was reality. I said, you must have got the wrong mom. That couldn't have been mine. <laughs> I said, that couldn't have been mine. He was like, no, it's yours. She said, you're staying here. She doesn't, she, if it's up to her, she's not getting you out. So I had to accept that. And then I had to accept that they weren't going to let me stay in holding. They were going to take, take me back to regular population, back to H-Pod. I was not handling that well at all because I'd never been there. All I've heard is about jail. I'd never been to jail. And I remember getting back there and seeing all these people, and I knew a couple people, and Everybody was, of course, how'd you get here? Which most people that knew me knew probably why I had gotten there. But they had this book cart that came around. And when I was younger, I used to love to read books. Like, that used to be my life. And I was detoxing, the most severe detox I ever went through in my life. And I said, you know, well, there's nothing to do in jail but read. So the girls told me, and like I said, I've never been there. So they said, just go find the books that you can get the postcards, the pages to rip out to send postcards to people and I'm like okay I can do that I can do that I can help them so I went to the book cart and I got this book called walk by faith and I really didn't intend on reading it at all it just had really thick pages like they asked for and I was trying to help them and I ended up laying down that night and I started reading it and the whole book was about picking up your cross and walking, just walk by faith and not by sight. No matter your circumstances, no matter what you've been through or what you're going through, just keep walking one foot in front of the next. And it was based off 2 Corinthians 5, 7. And as I read that book, I was like, I remember the calling that was placed over my life when I was a little girl. But I lost sight of that a long time ago. When it was given to me that I was called to be a virtuous woman and to teach others the way. I hadn't been through anything. I mean, maybe there's something. But in my mind and heart, what am I going to teach somebody? Just how to grow up? I hadn't been through anything in my heart. And I cried out to God and I said, okay, walk by faith and not by sight. Walk where? Where am I going to walk to? Just start walking. And after about 10 days, I got bonded out by the grace of God and my mama and my grandpa. And 
I just knew I'd do right. I'd do right this time. And somewhere amongst this time period of when I got bonded out and when we took off, my sister gave me a book called Jesus Calling. It might have been right before I got arrested. And it's just a little devotional book called Jesus Calling. And I remember the it was before I got arrested that week. Me and my friends started reading it every morning. High and all, we were reading it every morning. And something just started changing in me when I read that. And I just remembered, like, there is a God who could change things if I would talk to him or ask him or remember him. So whenever we got out of jail, I got bonded out. And the next day, bonded my ex out of jail as well. Um, he had violated parole, so was on the run basically as soon as I bonded him out. Uh, we decided it would be the best idea to take off to Sweetwater. Not thinking when we got there, we don't have money. So we started selling drugs. And then my addiction became real apparent to him. I guess it's not real apparent, you know, when you're not right there with it. And I remember the words, I can't save you, and I get it. And I came back home one day, and he was gone. And that really, that crushed me for a few, probably about a few weeks. And let's see, um, basically that was in about October of 2015. And you would think after getting in trouble in August and then that going on, and you'd think maybe that'd be a wake-up call, but in reality I just, I didn't see no light at the end of the tunnel. So I just kept using more and more and more. And when I think back now to what I what and how much I was using, like I don't know how I am still standing here because I have friends now that died from way less. It's only by his grace that I did make it to be able to stand here today. In March of 2015, I reached out for help through a text message that to be honest with you guys, I don't even recall. Um, my mom showed it to me, so I obviously sent it, but it said, I'm drowning from these pills. I need help. In March, at the end of March 23rd, 2015, I came to the Hope House. I stayed for seven months. There was so much restoration done in my life. There was miracles that I saw, and that was something I never, I believed it happened in other countries. But during that time I was at the Hope House, I had a miracle happen with me uh, with kidney stones that were taken out of my body. And I watched a friend of mine's foot be healed as I prayed for her. And after about seven months in, and that self-will kicked in, and I was just ready to do what I wanted to do. So I decided it was, I was better. I was fixed. I could leave. So I left. And I stayed clean for a little while. It was 11 months clean when I relapsed. And I look back at it now, and, you know, pastor asked me and stuff, what happened? I, I just stopped. I just stopped everything for my recovery. I stopped meetings. I stopped communicating. I stopped church. I just stopped doing all of it and thought I'd be all right. In February of two, throughout this whole time, I was facing all these felony charges and going to court and all that kind of stuff. And I just, whenever I was in jail, they told me, ask for diversion. I'm like, Okay, I don't know nothing about any of this. I'm just going to do what's suggested to me. So I asked for diversion. My lawyer says, you're not going to get it. I mean, you're not going to get it. I've been a prosecuting DA. You have Class B drug felonies, and you sold drugs to the police. You're not getting it. 
And I asked them, you know, if you would just please do it, what's the worst that could happen? They could say no, and I'll be a felon, and that's fine, because I deserve it, and I deserve a lot more than that. And February 29th of 2016, I stood in front of Judge Freiburg, scared to death, because I truly felt like the calling God had on my life with being a felon and being confined to the state of Tennessee, I don't think I will be able to complete that. I know he would have made a way had it worked out that way, but something in me just knew that to ask for that. I just really felt in my heart that I could, if I asked and believed that he would do it, it would happen. So Judge Freiberg looked at me and he said, Jessica, today I'm going to extend, God, extend God's hand of mercy and grace to you. And I don't ever want to see you before me again. I just want to jump up and down in the whole courtroom. I was so excited. So I wasn't a felon. I was granted diversion, three years state probation. And then fear set in. Fear of, I would relapse again. Fear of, what's going to happen? What's going to happen if I do relapse? Will I go to prison? So I decided, you know, I'll, I'll make a safety net with another drug that would be a prescription. So if I relapse, it'll be okay. Well, the fear of relapse caused me to get a prescription. And then I was relapsing because I had a prescription. So it really just didn't work at all. Slick got to talking to me and... He won that argument. I was too prideful to reach out to anyone and ask for help. Too ashamed to let my family know, even though I knew they knew. And I remember it was the end of October. We had just went the night after Halloween because we just went to the block party and I was sitting in my apartment and I just cried and cried and cried because I had finally got the things I wanted. I had a job, I was working. Well, I wasn't working at this time. I had already lost my job. But I had my apartment still. I had furniture. I had things that I never had on my own. But I was so miserable because I was right back where I was before I ever even got clean the first time. I cried out to God because I was in such misery, and I said, whatever you have to do, just please help me figure out how to fix this. Well, the next morning, I woke up dope sick and I decided I needed some money so the best person to ask would be my dad because my mom was done she was done talking to me she was done hearing my stories and lies she just don't even answer the phone when I would call because she knew what it was for and I pulled up to my daddy's warehouse and told him I needed money for probation which I'd probably already got it four times that month don't even recall how many times I had asked and he said, all right, baby doll, give me just a minute. And he went in his warehouse, and I was like, oh, good, we're about to get the money. It's going to be fine. And he comes back out with my probation officer on the phone. I was scared to death. I had told so many lies about probation and treatment and drug classes. I didn't know. I didn't. And my dad, he's like me. He'll get to talking. It's not, he's probably told him everything, and I'm scared to death. He said, well, your probation officer said he didn't realize you were still having a problem. You might need to call him, and you might need to get out of my property. Okay. So I called my probation officer, and he told me I had one chance to be honest. And if I chose to not, then what would happen is what would happen. So I admitted to him first that I did have a problem, and I had relapsed on my drug of choice, and that I didn't know how to stop doing them again. I was physically dependent again. I couldn't get away from myself long enough to stop doing them again. 
He asked me what did I think that I needed. It would have been real easy just to tell him drug classes because that was on the table. Just go to drug classes three times a week, drug test daily. That'll be fine. I've been beating drug tests for years, but I knew that I needed, I knew I needed what I left from in the first place. I told him that I needed to go back to the program that I didn't complete, which was the Women of Hope. And he asked me, did, could I get in there? Well, I didn't have a clue if I could get in there. I didn't even know if they'd let me come back there the way I had left. And so I had broke down and had to put my pride to the side and I reached out to Miss Connie on Facebook. And I asked her to give me a call that, or the next morning I think it was that I spoke with her. She, she called me and I was sitting at a gas station with one of my friends at the time and she was panhandling money. And I was in the car and I was a wreck. I was just crying. I knew Miss Connie was about to call. I didn't know what to say. And she got on the phone and she's, I said, well, how are you? She said, I'm doing great. How are you? And I just lost it. I just started bawling. She said, I knew you weren't doing well. And I asked her, could I come back? She said she'd have to talk to pastor. And the only way I could come back was to commit to a 15-month program that I wouldn't leave early from. I agreed. The next day, I was at the Hope House, November 3rd. And I've been here now for five months and 23 days, clean and sober. God has restored a new hunger in me for him and for my recovery. Through his help, I'm trying my best to do everything different this time. I'm grateful that I made it back without dying. Like I said, I have had a couple friends, one just recently who passed away from just one last time. God's speaking to me daily now, and a few weeks ago during a testimony here, he put a name in my spirit of a ministry that I'm supposed to have. I prayed for confirmation about it, and he gave that to me at our Warrior Fest conference. I'm learning obedience through him and through my walk with him to just listen to what he tells me to do. He's restored hope and many relationships in my family. One of the most important people in my life. My baby sister's relationship with me is being restored. He has gave me an unsurmountable peace and abundance of his grace. I'm so grateful for his mercy and I'm excited to see where he's taken me and the things I will be able through recovery to do for him and to share his saving grace and mercy message with others. Thank you. Amen. We're going to discuss these stories right now. Awesome, Jessica. You did fantastic. I would like to um, introduce you to Miss Tara Lemons. Would you come? Would you welcome Tara? My name is Tara, and I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with addiction. Hey. <laughs> I never had an excuse to use drugs, never. Since I was a little girl, my mama has prayed Jeremiah 29:11 over me. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you hope and a future. My Sunday school teacher mother and federal agent father have spent my entire life telling me that I could be anything I wanted to be. Nobody was more shocked than them when I became a drug addict. Beginning when I was 16 years old, I seemed to be on a mission to destroy my life. 
at 21, I met a man in a bar that partied like I did and got a prescription for my drug of choice. I thought for sure he was my soulmate. <laughs> we were married when I was 22, and 90 days later, I checked myself into a treatment program. I wanted a better life for my husband and I, but after he refused to stop using, I filed for divorce. The next seven and a half years were the happiest of my life. God did have plans for me. I was remarried, and I had a son, Brody Jackson Mays, a sweet, gorgeous little boy who loves me unconditionally. Though his dad left and I filed for divorce, Brody and I had a good life. God, having the sense of humor he does, placed me in a job with adolescents who were chemically dependent. I saw myself in each and every one of those holy terrors, <laughs> and I loved him like they were my own. After several promotions, I could go no further without a degree, so in 2015, I graduated from Chattanooga State with honors. The plan was to start the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga the following fall. After taking the summer off, boredom, le boredom led to depression that worsened when my best friend and mentor, James Jabley, died suddenly. That was one of the most terrifying times in my life because the meetings, which had been so important to my recovery, were now a source of pain and sorrow. So I slowly but surely stopped going. I thought I was fine. I wasn't. And in January of 2016, I went back to the very thing that had almost killed me seven and a half years earlier. It was out of control before I realized it. In February and again in March, the Marion County Sheriff's Department sent a girl into my home wearing a wire to purchase narcotics from me. In June, I was indicted and charged with five felonies. Because of God's grace and mercy, my sweet baby boy was in Nashville visiting his dad's family. It would have terrified him to see the police surround our home and to see the mama that he adores being handcuffed and hauled off in a police car. In the short ride to the jail, it dawned on me that only days earlier I had prayed about this. I would told God I couldn't keep living like this. But let's be real, I was being charged with five felonies. Him hearing my cry didn't bring much comfort at that point. I was mortified. I was on three news channels and the front page of the local paper. I was terrified that I would lose my son. I'd like to be able to say that I was scared straight, but that's just not my story. Six days after I was arraigned, I became very sick, so sick that I didn't recognize my family. On July 3rd, my dad rushed me to Erlanger North where I was promptly loaded into an ambulance and taken to Erlanger downtown. They had no idea what was wrong with me. My fever and blood pressure were through the roof and I was talking out of my head. After ruling out spinal meningitis, doctors still had no clue, so they threw every antibiotic they had at me. Blood cultures finally told doctors what I was fighting, endocarditis and sepsis from IV drug use, and that was just the beginning. The bacteria had traveled from my heart to my brain to my lungs. I had several mini strokes on both sides of my brain and the destruction left in their wake was devastating. Teams and teams of doctors told my family that they just did not know what the outcome would be for me. They were told it would get a lot worse before it got any better. If I did survive, it was too early to tell the lasting effects. My family was told I may never walk or talk again. But God. <laughs> I serve a big God of miracles, and when his hand came down, things started happening. I was suddenly talking again and walking again. I was even able to hug my son. No, that was a moment. 
the first time I got to hug my son. That was amazing. Dr. McGinnis put it on God from day one. He told me and my family that these cases normally do not turn out like this. Typically, patients like me that suffered what I did just didn't leave the hospital. God must have big plans for you, he said. I was transferred to Siskin Hospital for rehabilitation. Two days after arriving there, I was told I needed no rehabilitation. I simply needed somewhere to finish the antibiotics which were being administered through a pick line straight to my heart. When I was unable to be transferred, I saw it as being stuck at Siskin. When I suddenly went into cardiac arrest nine days later, EMTs told my family had I been anywhere but Siskin, I would have died. But God. Four days after being rushed back to Erlanger, I underwent open heart surgery to replace my mitral valve. I was on life support for three days. I was on the ventilator. I was conscious for the majority of that time. That was a rough time. It was horrible. I was in the hospital for two months total. I visited four ICUs. I was on five floors. I saw no less than 15 doctors before leaving the end of August. When I first left the hospital, I felt like I had a new lease on life. I, I spent a lot of time with my son. I spent a lot of time with my family. But depression after heart surgery kicked in, and I stayed clean for 90 days before using again. I used for a total of 30 days before, um, on, like the day before Christmas Eve and on Christmas Eve night, or the night before Christmas Eve. Um, I had gone with no sleep. I'd stayed awake for two nights in a row. And um, I drove to my father's house with my son in the back seat. And on the way home, I wrecked with him in the car. Fell asleep and wrecked. I hit a tree, never tapping my brakes. I had drugs in the car. When I, they asked me, you know, where would you like to go? They found drugs in the car. They found drug paraphernalia in the car. My son wasn't hurt at all. But they asked me, where would you like to go to the hospital? And I thought it just meant, I didn't realize I was hurt at all. I thought it just meant, like, what's the closest from point A to point B? Point B being Marion County Jail. And uh, I told them, take me to Grandview, which is a local hospital. When I got there, they told me that um, I had benzos in my system and my son had been in the back seat. And, the, and in the same conversation, they told me that I was about to be life force to Erlanger I begged doctors to just let me die, but God. After getting out of the hospital, um, I, I woke up on Christmas Day on life support once again. I had to have my spleen taken out, and it was constant talk of, instantly talk of an inpatient program, a long-term treatment program. And on January 4th, I walked into the Hope House. That was three months, three weeks, and two days ago today. And, uh, the Hope House has changed my life. It's absolutely changed my life. Um, I found unconditional love there outside of my family. Um, Pastor David kept me when I was ready to go. <laughs> I think week one I walked in and told him, call my probation officer, I'm leaving, I'm out of here. He didn't let me leave. <laughs> here I am. <laughs> and I think at my last one-on-one um, -on -one with him, I told him, I'm not, I'm not ever leaving the Hope House. I'm going to stay here forever. <laughs> Thank you. Excellent. Well, 
We'll move right on, trying to keep myself together. Um, now I'd like to welcome Miss Sarah. Would you welcome Sarah as she comes to be our final testimony? I am Sarah. I am a uh, grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I struggle with substance abuse. Does it sound like I'm talking into this? Okay. All right. Okay. Ever since I can remember, I've always felt different. Um, I felt set apart from other people, like I didn't really have a place that I fit in. Um, I had a very loving mother. I still have a loving mother. <laughs> and a very absent father. Um, I spent a lot of my childhood and teenage years going to the bars and karaoke with my mom. And my dad finally started coming around. Um, there was a lot of drug use there at an early age in my life. And... Um, abuse from my father. Um, by the time that I was 16, I was a full-blown drug addict. I had tried just about every drug by this time. My father passed around this time and it was very difficult due to so much being left unsaid. There was no closure. I continued to use and regularly, daily. I got clean for a few years during my two pregnancies with Annabelle and Audrey, my beautiful girls. Um, after the birth of my second daughter, Audrey, I was prescribed pain medication, and my addiction turned active again. This went on with the medication about a year and a half before I started IV using, and then my life just fell apart. So did everyone else's around me. Um, from the end of 2010 until January 2013, this was a part of my daily life. I mean, it became my life, just using. That's all I, that's all I wanted to do. That's all I could do at this point. It took away from my mothering. I mean, it's hard to even say that I was a mother at this time. Um, it took away from my soul. Uh, I gave birth to another beautiful baby girl. Natalie, and this was during my addiction. Um, and praise God, she was born in excellent health. That is our God. Um, by this time, the only prayers I said was, Lord, you know, please just help me make it through this night, and I won't, I won't do this again, you know, I won't get high again. Or it was right the opposite, you know, I was praying to die so I couldn't continue to drag my kids through my hell. Um, it's crazy the way your mind works, that you think that everyone would be better off without you, but they just need you and who you really are. I ended up in church uh, around May 2013, and my life, I didn't really go to church that often. I, I knew God, you know, I thought I did. My mom would say prayers with me at night time or, you know, I'd open my Bible and what I read in Genesis is about what I knew of God, you know. Um, but they were just, you know, preaching the gospel and I, from what I knew about God, um, to the best of my ability, you know, I gave my heart to the Lord and I really didn't change much. Um, but I did get a fire to pick up my Bible. And um, I found the Psalms of David, and in them I found what seemed to be just for me. Um, David's desperate prayers turned into my prayers. And I'm going to read Psalm 38, 1 through 10. Oh, I've got it wrote down here where I can read it better. O Lord, rebuke me not in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. For your arrows stick fast in me, and your hand presses me sore. 
There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are filled with a loathsome disease. And there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have grown by reason of the disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before you, and my groaning is not hid from you. My heart penneth, and my strength faileth me. As for the light of my eyes, it is also gone from me. I was desperate. I didn't know how to begin or what to do at this point in my life. Um, I managed small amounts of sobriety. Uh, I entered into a family drug court program in Georgia. Um, it was only 30 days here and there, and 20 of those days I was incarcerated for relapsing. Um, January 21st, 2014, I got a sanction that I, I went to jail for 40 days, and that's the longest that I had ever stayed sober at this point. Um, I got married to a wonderful man, a man that I prayed for. Um, I thank God that he placed him in my life. He didn't enable me. Most of everyone else in my life just couldn't figure out why that I could not be sober just for my kids, why they weren't enough, or why anybody in my life wasn't enough. But my husband had been through this before, and he knew that I was not going to be able to do it without getting some type of help. Um, I needed more than drug screens because if you are a drug addict, then you are a master manipulator, and I was that. I prayed for help, for God to help me, or yet again to die, so I couldn't hurt my girls, my husband, and all the people in my life. I ended up at the Hope House June 4th, 2015. Um, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay and set my feet. My feet. I knew I was going to do this. I knew it. <laughs> and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he has put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. I met my God for the first time. I had my first love encounter, my first time in his peace, for the first time I understood this grace my husband spoke of, a grace that we none deserve, but my God gave willingly and with unconditional love. I somehow thought I had it beat, this whole addiction thing, so I left the Hope House in mid-October 2015. But God wasn't and isn't done with my transformation yet. He removed me from myself again. I'm back at the Hope House, and I'm so thankful for today. I'm thankful for the unanswered prayers of death. I'm so thankful for a loving God, a merciful and faithful God, a forgiving God who removes my transgressions as far as from the east is from the west, a God that loves me so much that he knows the number of hairs on my head, a God of restoration, restoration and transformation of hearts, restorations of families. I'm thankful for my family and healthy children and a strong godly husband and a God who blessed me with every one of you a God who gives life and life more abundantly, a God who never leaves me alone, a God who tells me many times a day that I love you, my beautiful daughter. Yet again, he inclined unto me and heard my cry for help, my cry for life. I got a few more scriptures, sorry. <clears throat> Telling you, that David. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I thought he was my twin brother, you know, when I was reading in here. 
Okay. I might get tongue-tied on this one big time. I'll try not to laugh too hard. Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my down-sitting and my uprising. You understand my thought afar off. You can pass my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all of my ways. For there is not a word in my mouth. It says my tongue. But lo, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have beset me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend up into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the utter morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be like light about me. Yeah, the darkness hides not from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you have possessed my reins, and you have covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my, and that my soul knows right well. My substance was not hid from you when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. I can have one more. <laughs> I got one more. Uh, <laughs> the Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh to all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. We want to thank you for listening to our podcast tonight. If you live in another region, we encourage you to go to subretrecovery.com and type in your zip code and you can find um, a subret recovery near you. Or we're here for you at Church of the Harvest on Facebook. And we speak blessings to you and good night. That wherever God comes in, it is so holy. It doesn't matter the circumstances or situation.